The name's Holloway. Vince Holloway, recovery specialist. For 20 million bucks, I'd go a long way, even to Diablo. The warmth. The hospitality. Cut the crap. We're booked. My kind of town. My kind of people. <laughs> Reno. And his nice bunch of friends. <laughs> Cora. Party's over, boys. Bake me. And her full-service bank. I'll behave myself. Dakota. She ran the Blue Iguana. And every man in it. Don't even think about her, dude. But business is business. We should make a deal. What kind of deal? Cars offer me 20%. You'd do better, and the money's yours. But I don't share my money with anybody. Not unless I have to. You have to. I could almost taste that 20 million. But I was up against the best. I told you to rent the Suzuki Samurai. All I had to do was stay alive long enough. What are you trying to do, kill me? To collect. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Wait, 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 wait. This is the movie where Daryl Hannah gets naked? I thought I was getting tortured. Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. Ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action. What is this? See? In Virginia, use the molecular transmigration beam to bring this fool to me! Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder, and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor. Normally, I do not suffer fools, but I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage which is your mouth that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices. Uh, okay. Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration or you study grindhouse movies at my feet now! Choose! Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and merciless. Right, but how do I get to the- Now go! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! Virginia, summon the subject! 
Oh, hey. Well, this is going to be a, a a great episode. I, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I really appreciate getting exposed to something I have never been exposed to before, being Daryl Hannah's naked, naked body. Wait, no, 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 you watched the wrong movie. Dancing it. Dancing no, at the Blue Iguana. No, I watched no, it. No, 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 no. That's not the movie I wanted you to watch. I wanted you to what? watch the Blue Iguana from 1988. Not the Blue Iguana from 2018 or Dancing at the Blue Iguana. But that had boobies of Daryl yeah, okay, Hitt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was better than Splash. Virginia, give me give me the uh, Lernertron. What's uh, that? It's going to pinch a bit. Well, oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Wow, I just got a whole movie in like three seconds. I keep having these flashes of boobs. No, 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 we're supposed to erase those. What? You have to focus. Oh, yeah. That was. I'm sorry, the, the credits are just. Are they just spooling by now? We are, we are probably two of maybe fifteen people who've ever seen this movie. So, I want you to focus because this is a film. It came out in 1988. It was the first, and to the best of my knowledge, only film produced by Polygram Pictures. The uh, filmmaking arm of Polygram Records. And um, it has sunk with, sank without a trace. And I think it actually deserve, does not deserve it. I, I like this movie quite a bit. I, I went in totally with knowing nothing about it except mm-hmm. for the name of it because I'd mm-hmm. never heard of it. And I wonder, after seeing it, I'm like, how did I never hear of this? And it then... It was all clear. 1988. I was in college. Yep. I was I was pouring through my college film library and watching movies in class like daily. And every once in a while, would go to the theater, and I hadn't discovered Film Threat yet. So mm-hmm. yeah, it just slipped right under my right under my radar, which is which is too bad because like just in the credits that like animated. With the like, Curtis Blow song in the background, yes. Yes, with the Curtis Blow song, punk, sort of, it, it, those Day of the Dead was were sort of punk rock instead of, like, tattoo imagery. Yeah. And that playing, I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be just, just distilled, concentrated Generation X. <laughs> and I'm Generation X, so I should know. And it's, then it's very it much... Is, it is. I think it's a bit ahead of its time. Yeah, I think that's what I think um, that's what hindered it. If, yeah, in yeah. that it's 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 very much strikes the same tone that um, all the people who watched Reservoir Dogs while they were at NYU Film School um, and decided, oh, that's how you make an independent feature. Yes. Um, it it definitely strikes the same tone as those um tarantino ripoffs like killing zoe and truth or consequences new mexico 
or God, the, the worst of the worst, Destiny turns on the radio. Have you ever heard of that one? I have not. Is there, so, is there someone named Destiny in it? Is it like some... Johnny like, Destiny, girl? played by uh, Quentin Tarantino, is God. And he kind of hangs out at a hotel outside of Las Vegas. Fuck that movie. It, you know, I mean, the, 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 the thing is, I'm guessing Quentin Tarantino did not write or direct that movie. No, he did not, <laughs> but, but they offered him a part and he took it. Yeah. Oh, sure. I'm sure. But like, yeah, yeah, that's oh. just by the description alone. It's just yeah. going to be but good. This is dead. If this had been released during that wave. Not only do I think it would be better remembered, it would probably rise to the top. Because uh, it's a lot better than some of the... Or, or, or Blood and Concrete. Oh, gross. Billy Zane and Jennifer Beals and Harry Shearer's the villain. And that sounds better than it might actually... It, it, it was anywhere near what it was. But, um... I just see it being in this weird transitional period from 80s movies sort of sort of just like just post post Repo Man which Repo Man wasn't really a big hit Repo well, Man well, just yeah, like halted years the director and writer of this film John Lafia um worked on Repo Man mm -hmm. so and and probably saw a lot there's a lot of you know this uh, repo man had um mike nesmith sort of like musical background with the like funding and producing of it and this what you know it, it i mean the, definitely a lot of care put care and attention put into the music in it it isn't just like a bunch of like grab songs it's stuff composed for the film and recorded I, I, really I well that a lot of it uh, was building on the at that moment very underground swing scene. Yes, in Los Angeles. Yes, well, you have that live band who I'm guessing were mm -hmm. like the musicians, and that were probably from a really popular band that they were like, let's get yeah. them in there to 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 do some stuff. Hey, you know, hey, like Circle hey. Jerks and Repo Man. Yeah, hey, Flea is in it too, so. Fleeing it up. Fleeing it, yep. Basically, whatever whatever film Flea is in, he plays Flea. But, like, at this point, that was a novelty. You know, this is, yeah, this is, this I, is having Flea was sort of like ahead of, ahead of, like, Red Hot Chili Peppers or, like, just to put it this way, I saw them that year and yes. they played in a, in a, in a, a, um, a cafeteria in a community college. And took home all the girls at the end of their their concert. Dis it was a concert slash display, <laughs> right? And it was a and what Flea does in this movie, like when Flea's dancing around, that's yeah. Flea for two was Flea for two hours in in 1988. He could do 20, 30 takes of that <laughs> th those those shots, and uh, and not hurt himself at that point. I Today. This is his, uh, he, it's not his first film, but I think it's like his second featured role. Because I def, I think he has a starring role in, um, 
uh, dudes, the Penelope Spheris uh, punk western. But but yeah, this is like I think his first featured role. Well, it's just the perfect size because I could see casting him. It's like yeah, he's flea. He can you know we know that he can like physically be like he has his face <laughs> and he has his physical mannerisms. So if his acting isn't that good, eh, it won't be that big a deal. And if it is, everybody will want more. You know, it'll be it'll be just a like a juicy little part, and it'll help him get more parts. So it was it was like the perfect size role for Flea in the mm-hmm. in this in this movie. Um, and this was also an early role from Dylan McDermott, who did have a career. I know that that, that you were joking, uh, at some weird earlier date that um he looked like tucker carlson this was his second role oh i have to say he looks a lot like tucker carlson and like you know politics aside whatever you think of tucker carlson it was it was distracting to me i i I think he 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 didn't have the mannerisms of tucker carlson he was maybe like if tucker carlson was actually an actor but it was distracting for me, yes. <laughs> well, I'm sorry I don't see it. See how you just plucked that from my brain? But okay, yeah. yeah. Incidentally, he was in Destiny Turns on the Radio. <laughs> fuck that movie. Dylan McDermott or Tucker Carlson? Dylan McDermott. No, no. Oh. Fuck, fuck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you're, you know you're about you to blow my fired. mind there. <laughs> you know that when you get fired by Fox News for being a little too much to handle, you got a problem. Uh, it, it, I I think he just reached his he he reached the top, and they were just I think they flush him out once they reach the oh, top because no, no, they no, start. No, no, no. I've, I've there anyway. Been, um, apparently he was being when he got to the top he got an ego and really, really was nasty to a lot of people yeah sort of sounds like the last one that he replaced that <laughs> they got fired and disappeared and <laughs> went off into the mist oh, no. bill o'reilly is around he, he has sure. his own he has his own like patreon funded podcast oh yeah, yeah 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 exactly exactly but he used to be you know at the apex of of media and like people used to talk about what he said all the time and and uh, you know other news people would say it was awful what bill o'reilly said and <laughs> nobody does that he's got his he's got his fit he probably makes good money on patreon and mm-hmm. and stuff but he doesn't have he's not the he's not the figure imposing media figure that he was was it mm-hmm. at the peak of his you know they gotta they, they gotta get some new blood in there i guess right well, well he up. ended up having a um a fairly significant career he's perhaps best known for being the lead of the show that became boston legal the practice um but this is actually a pretty good cast because you got jessica harper i love just i love me some jessica harper my only regret is she does not get to sing in this film which is weird because there should be plenty of opportunities for that at you know it's some uh, her character wouldn't be the character who sings necessarily, but in this movie, it kind of doesn't matter. You could go <laughs> in that direction if you wanted to. You could find an excuse to have her, you know, 
have her take the mic in the in the in the blue iguana and mm-hmm. and belt out a song. But maybe it was more money if you got Valerie Harper to sing. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just know that 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 girl has some pipes, and I I adore her. And um, the one who does do the singing here is of course Pamela Gidley, who I always thought of as the woman you got when you couldn't get Sybil Shepherd. Um, yes, and. Oddly enough, she was also in Dudes, along with Flea, the year before, and she was in a film, another film done by a writer-director who did not get to write and direct very much, uh, Stephen Desjarnat's Cherry 2000 in 1987, which is a really fun post-apocalyptic science fiction series where she plays a sex bot. Well, when you start looking at like these kind of these indie movies and in a certain time period, you're going to see a lot of cross pollination, you know, because they're all meeting each other on the movie sets and going like, oh, I liked working with you. And, you know, and, you know, um, you you know, you have you have Courtney Love having a walk on in in Sid and Nancy and then getting a bigger part in Straight to Hell, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, just working with the same people. Um. Alex Cox well, ended up working with Strummer a lot. Was more uh, a case of, well, we got a lot of money, and we can't go to where we were supposed to go with that money. So what are we going to do? Let's make a picture. I think a lot yep. of that was imp- was improvised on the spot, and yep. I think Courtney Love was there because Courtney Love was going to be part of this concert. In what? Um, yeah, mention I know not, but um, yeah. But the thing is, this is very it's it's very much an obvious love letter slash rip on not neo noir specifically, but super specifically the t- a type of nineteen fifties detective fiction that. Uh, is best typified by some by a writer I love called man's long passed away, called Richard Prather, who did a series of novels from the 40s through to the early 80s, featuring a character called Shell Scott. And this is very much the type of thing Shell Scott would get involved in. Very light, even though that there's a lot, you know, but there's there's a lot of activity and a lot of people get shot. It's still everything is so stylized there's no yeah. care there's not really any characters or tension you know insofar that it's 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 sort of more of a fun playing playing the playing of the tropes the thing about it is i think this coming out early in 1988 for this mm-hmm. kind of movie is what what cut its legs out from under mm-hmm. it because the audience was does wouldn't know like Roger Ebert was like, oh, this is an unsuccessful parody of a de- detective movie. Yeah. It's like I don't see a par or a comedy, it was, and it's it a comedy. A it's like a comedy parody of, yeah. and I don't even see it as a comedy. I just see it yeah. as maybe, maybe if you want to get really crazy, call it a romp or something. But it's more, it's more of that detached Generation X of like. Mm-hmm. This is I really like this stuff. This is cool. I don't want to admit to be, you know, being I I don't want to do it like, you know, I don't want to do a straight up Sam Spade yeah. type story. I want I want to have some some ironic distance on it and 
and I want to put an element of of it's it's subversion. I guess would be a good thing to say about Generation X movies because such uh, a small generation, uh, uh, you got to be subversive. A, um, a a veneer of cynicism is yes. what I would probably say. Yes. Yes, I know. Like, like, like the the lead character McDermott in this, he knows all the trope. His character mm-hmm. knows all the tropes and is going through the motions. And it's all about being as stylish and ironic of all the mo- of like how many ways can I light a cigarette? How many? Right. You know, how many ways can you know? I'm reaching for my. Am I reaching for a gun? No, just a cigarette, dude. Don't worry. You know, lighten your paper up and lighten off the paper and 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 all that. And and basically, that's what it's about. But that was that became like just cemented into our culture by the '90s. By the time the '90s were rolling along, that people would have recognized exactly what was going along with this and been like, "Okay, I'm going on this this ride," you know. Also, I think that it was pre grit too. It was pre like he he didn't have a sense of grit that like Tarantino, right? Like, like Alex Cox had and the the detractors had. This was this was a very clean movie actually. Uh, I think another problem that might have turned people off in '88 is that it's got that sort of quip machine. Um, way of the dot with the dialogue where people aren't really talking naturally; they're talking in punchlines. Yeah, I uh, like her. Something she that becomes nice. very successful in the once again very successful in the '90s with stuff like um, Friends and the first Kevin Smith movies, Seinfeld. And, and ultimately, at the, at the end of the '90s, with uh, and and this guy's a garbage human. I always kind of knew he was a garbage human. Uh, Josh Whedon. So fuck you, Josh. Oh yeah, Josh Whedon for sure. That 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 Josh we Josh Whedon is like between what Whedon and Tarantino. They like. Really, like Tarantino more for the better. Whedon, Whedon more for the Whedon can do it himself, but like, yeah, the, for they really transform dialogue <laughs> going forward from both of them. Yeah. Um, it's it sounds very. I mean, everything is even even a simple line of dialogue. One of my favorite lines of dialogue in this film is, "I liked her." She was nice. Is is delivered with this sort of, I mean, because of the context in which it's delivered and the way McDermott delivers it, is done. It's it comes off as being very cynical. Yes. 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 And um, the whole thing. Uh, I mean, that that the whole the first. Four minutes pretty much establishes the tone until that third act where everything goes off the rails. Yeah, it 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 ta- like you have well you have his office, which is just like this tableau of you know 
cool cultural artifacts and right. it was fun to fun to like oh look a, a you know a, a mexican romance comic and right you know here's a pack of cigarettes a lighter it's all it's all laid out on the the desk the gun and mm. uh and and that and 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 by the time they get to the town the town has these very symmetrical buildings yeah you'll notice we're in um, we're in Vince. Vince is the name of uh, Dylan McDermott's character. V- Vince's point of view to the po- to the point that we actually see through his eyes for the yeah. first few minutes. So um, then we then, and he goes and uh, accidentally kills uh, cosplay John Waters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. I wish they tell done his... me he's not. Tell me that character, that actor is, is the actor's name is John Durbin, but he, he looks... looks like John Waters if John Waters had grown up in even harder times. <laughs> but like I, he he almost he was almost he also looked like a character in an Italian, yeah. um, in a spaghetti western, and I almost I thought it would have been really funny if they dubbed his voice in like. Mm-hmm. You know, high pitched, just like, yeah, what do you want? You know, <laughs> type of thing would have been really, especially for the length of time he was in the. He was a good physic. The way he ran through the the. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, and and all and like that chase through everything up until the end is very like filmed. You know, right. they block they blocked it out. It's almost like a comic book. I think maybe it's best. Well, that's probably why. You've got these um, scenes, I think, that are swathed in blue and red, and um, how s- the colors are kind of heightened mm-hmm. in much of this. And and the action, you can tell they storyboarded it out just like a at the end when he's he's the the only part at the end that's really structured is when he's driving the car and he's strewing the money out to keep them following him. And mm-hmm. it, it, I could almost see the storyboard of like the car with his arm. That, yeah. And and I thought, okay, that shot there, mm-hmm. he plotted out. Like he saw that shot in his head. The stuff with the cemetery. And yeah, that's the stuff. Through it, they I, they were just doing that as they were going along. They were just like, but I mean, it's it's cinematically, it it makes sense and it's well shot, but it does not mesh with the rest of the movie yeah, which is yeah. very the, the, the energy out. that that we've been experiencing for the first 75 minutes does seem to just you know well it turns into a normal sort of chase scene and we've seen that you know before you know and, and there's there's he has touches of dialogue and stuff to that make it and you mm-hmm. know li- little comedic t- you know when when um when she shoots the gangster from behind when he's about to shoot them you know everybody dies sort of a little bit a little bit more slapsticky like with their arms splaying and stuff mm-hmm. but but otherwise it's just sort of a, a standard way you would shoot that scene if somebody if you were directing a scene where they were trying to get a coffin full of money away from yeah the, from the grave diggers and, and while i i appreciate that the coffins were bright blue or were like uh baby blue um it didn't help it didn't help carry over the feel of the previous of the previous two acts 
No, um, I think they should have looked at it more like a Coen Brothers mm-hmm. part at that point, and you, and, or or even going further back like Spielberg, or further back to like Hitchcock, and done a thing with the with the like two color like two colored, um, two different colored um, caskets, and you know make it into a visual, you know, cat and mouse sort of mm-hmm. sort switch switcheroo sort of thing. Where, you know, it was more set up, it might have worked better like that, you know, mm-hmm. something like that, where you were actually follow it, like the casket, they put some thought into the casket. and Yeah, stuff. there yeah. needs to be choreography. Yes, yes. Um, this is something um, that the other action set pieces seem to have. Mm-hmm. But this one does not. I mean, and it's like it's obvious to me watching it again, and I've watched it many times, obviously, because I absolutely adore this film. Um, you can see that Lafayette knew the the geography of that town. He knew oh, where yeah. it was in um relation to everything else in Diablo. No, he had it he he had it in he had this movie was made like whole chunks of this movie were made in someone's head and yep. that's what you see more in independent movies when you see a like big studio movie there's more like you got a big crew there you mm-hmm. know who you got there they're gonna want to set up a certain way and stuff like this this he really got to like you could tell like he thought out the ideas and then said, okay, here we go. We're going to film it like this. And you can see an almost formal, especially like Mm -hmm. the seat tracking scenes down the street where there's always people just doing chaos. It's, Mm -hmm. it's very choreographed and very like thought out and like everything happens, you know, like things are happening on one edge of the frame and they move to the other edge of the frame. And by the time they get to the other end of the frame, another thing is coming in to it and it's 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 almost like a ride at disneyland it's 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 really fun and it becomes a gag as it keeps going on as you keep going through this town it's just like okay who's you know what kind of carnage oh oh they're chasing a guy down the street with motorcycles today (laughs) and um the only thing i think doesn't quite i mean every once in a while though, there there are these touches that i don't think quite work like using the arcade dings during the firefight in front of the bank yeah it kind of took me out of it like why I, are they pinging i almost thought it was like almost a musical rhythmic thing that they came yep. up with it came up with the idea for in editing and yeah, it's just it's it's odd. It's just a little too slapstick. It's a little too mm. like it's a mad, 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 mad world or something. Right. You almost expect to have like overcranked film where everybody's yeah. sort of like herky jerky and ding. ding or or getting hit and then turning around and running the other way and getting hit again and turning yeah. around the other way or you know. But that's like Hanna Barbera cartoons. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um But it, it's funny. It's it's like Knowing where independent cinema went, not that long ago, because um, when is Reservoir Dogs? Reservoir Dogs is what, three, four years later? Something like that, yeah. I'm yeah. trying to remember. I think it was like 90, it was 93 or 94, something like that. 1992, so it was 92. four years later. 
And thinking about how this film probably would have been incredibly well received in the the horrible, horrible wake of those horrible. Oh, oh my head hurts. It would have been along the same lines, but it it wouldn't have. The, the, the thing is about those other movies is mm-hmm. they 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 got. I mean, they got their idea. Like a lot of them, if Tarantino had never come along, they probably would have done really well because it would have been new. But mm-hmm. they were like, okay, you know, the, di- the dialogue and the gritty violence. That's what yeah. they picked up from Tarantino. And yes, that's those are two important elements of him. Mm-hmm. But you have to be able to, to you know, he's extremely talented at both of yeah. those things. And the, the gritty violence and stuff had has, a, you know, a compelling story. Right to it and and all that and yeah and then you just ended up with all these I, I parodies of I would a hundred percent argue that these those films would not have happened without Reservoir Dogs. Oh no, or with Pulp Fiction especially, you know. Well, like, yeah, I'm, I, Reservoir Dogs is when I think it started because then you, you like uh, Robert Robert A. Robert, Roger Avery did Killing Zoe like the next year. Yeah, well, um, that was artistically it started. It, yeah, it, the Reservoir Dogs. Uh, commercially, it started with Pulp Fiction when everybody was with Pulp. But between Pulp Fiction and Clerks, like yeah. so many young filmmakers were just like, "Holy shit, you can make!" And Pulp there Fiction was, was a big budget a movie, but they were like points. You 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 don't need a a big yeah. effect storyline to make mm-hmm. a huge, something huge. You can do something that's based on just sort of like a regular story and dialogue. And well, I, I just I just think that. there were a number of nexus points that led to there was a a revived interest in um, uh, crime fiction of the forties and fifties. Yeah, also, noir. thanks to Barry Gifford's. Um, collection of essays there was a interest in um the fact that you know robert rodriguez yeah got a film which i think it, at one time was one of the most successful films of all time because it cost him ten thousand dollars well and he got plenty plenty more for it i i remember that time period being a young like wanting to be a filmmaker and seeing the story of Robert and I, it was it was like on a TV morning you know a network yeah. morning show they were talking about it and they were I think they had him on and he was like yeah you know I they're like well where'd you get the ten thousand dollars he's like oh, I did I I signed up for medical experiments <laughs> where they took patches on my arm and I'm like holy shit, like, it, it, that was truly, truly inspirational, especially at that mm-hmm. time, and, you know, and, no, and that was also, and he was doing that in, in back in the old days when, you know, any kind of filmmaking, if unless you were doing it on video, which nobody was going to watch, was going to be expensive, because film was expensive, and it was, and film... Like when you're shooting with film, it's a different thing than when you're shooting digital and you can just go all day, you know, yeah. unless you run out of hard drives or whatever. But, mm-hmm. you, you know, um, 
hell, we have had at least two examples of films now made on iPhones. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but back then, you know, it's like, and I think the thing is this, uh, once again, I, I think that the idea that what was then an underground culture of swing enthusiasts that had that weird, weird explosion in the early 90s for like about a year or two and then disappeared completely off the face of the earth. Um, that, I think, played into it as well. I think... See, I look at the 90s as almost this just like soup of, of 90s Tarantino's, the- Tarantino knockoffs and um, junkie movies. Here's the thing. I think the 90s was the last time that pop music was just th- trying anything. Because grunge fizzled out very quickly because it got over uh, over monetized. Yes, um, I'd, I'd argue it was I'd argue like the peak in the 90s. And it's I'm, I'm sure this is all subjective by when I was, at, you know, when 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 I was going to college and got on the college radio station, mm-hmm. it was an experience. Well, that's what I'm of the, weird the, ass the different five years sonic after youth. grunge and before the return of the boy bands so many different styles were tried out because you had you had the swing revival you had um you know singer songwriter stuff it's like anything could get on the top 40. Hell for a brief time, yeah. yeah. And, and people, the butthole and people, surfers, butthole surfers were got that, that and of Pepper, course, that was yes. pretty much the end of the butthole surfers. But yeah, the butthole surfers had like I can say, I can at my workplace, I can say, Hey, kids, you should listen to butthole surfers, and at least one person will go like Pepper, you know, yep. which is which is the you know the quote unquote sellout tune of butthole surfers or whatever. But that's so I think it's called Whitewater. That by butthole surfers? No, not by butthole surfers. It's by another band that should not have had a top forty hit. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, but they did, and it was the thing I love about it is that it's a particularly gross hit that people. It's one of those songs that people don't listen to closely. Right, right. It's, it's a song about a guy luring somebody down to a shack to murder them. So yeah. uh, I, I love when when songs like that become uh, become hits. And I'm like, did you really listen to the lyrics? Did you really? There's songs that hang around for 30 years before oh God, people like figure that. out stuff. In the okay. True story. True story. Um, you yeah, remember yeah, the included. song Pumped Up Kicks by Foster the Ki- Foster the People, right? I do not do not. All the other kids in there pumped up. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Better yes, run, yes. better run, run yes. from my gun. Yeah. Okay. I swear to you, this was during the time when I was doing a lot of karaoke. I was doing karaoke a lot. And this one idiot was like talking about, I love that song. It's so happy. That, yeah. 
I'm like, yeah. it's about a school shooter. You know that, right? And that and that song, like, th- there were so many knockoffs of that song. It's, it, well, there were so many knockoffs of that song that were happy, you know, because it's just so that pumped. melody is happy. But, like, yeah. Pumped Up Kicks begot Cool Kids by Bjorn, Bjorn, and Bjorn, which be, it's like, it, it, that begot that awful uh, One Direction, is One Direction song that was on the, the, the uh, Top Gun Maverick soundtrack. It's like the whistle. No, no, no more whistling. But anyway, um, yeah. So it's just like this is a '90s movie that should have that came out in the '80s, and people weren't ready for it. It was in. It was. It it, it was ahead of its time, but it wasn't. I just don't think it was crazy enough to grab the cult following. At the time, I'm sure it does have a cult following, but you would the probably have is, to dive to some news groups to fi- to find them. You know, it's been it's probably been like a, a 30 or 40 year, you know, I got to tell you the truth. I don't think um, it's collected. Because new- the thing is, this film sunk. It had a, a VHS release. Uh, it had then there was nothing until about. 2010 I want to say when Paramount Pictures did a bare bones release of it with a cover that kind of misrepresented it as a romantic film and yeah if if this would have been like some part of a bundle that ended up playing on TNT a lot like late hmm. night it, it, it would have picked it would have picked up an audience over the years. People would be like, I remember tuning in halfway through that crazy movie trying to figure out what the hell is going on. And it, but it I reminds- think, and I think on top of that, the the waters got muddied when Dancing with the Blue Iguana came out and everybody was talking about that because it was the Daryl Hannah naked picture. So every time I bring up the Blue Iguana to somebody- There's a Daryl Hannah naked picture? There's a, not for you. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Not for you, sir. But I went on is, my first date to see Splash, so yeah. like I associate uh, I went on, I went on a with my first date, man. Well. I, I went on a date with Barbara Arbite, who was this brunette who looked kind of like Joan Jett. And uh, we went to see Splash at the RKO Keith back when the RKO Keith was a uh, classic movie theater and not a parking lot. <laughs> I did. I Which did is the, what it is now. I did the classic work my arm up around the shoulders, yeah. arm around the shoulders, arm fall asleep <laughs> halfway through the movie, but not going to move the arm for a million dollars. Oh in terrible pain by the third act. <laughs> you ever want to get me truly mad? You you, you asked me about the RKO Keith. That that was the film. That was the theater that my idiot uncle took me to see Star Wars. No, I'm not calling it a New Hope because that's not what I saw in 1977. Fuck you. Um, I didn't say anything. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying for anyone who's, I, I I can hear you people. I'm a mad genius, remember? I know you're at talking And about- watch out, man. That's how he got me here. 
<laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, it was it was an Art Deco theater. It was beautiful inside. It was just gorgeous. And then it got bought by some people who wanted to tear it down, but because of its, it was an Art Deco. It was an example of Art Deco architecture. It was declared a national monument. So they couldn't tear it down, so they just let it rot and rot and rot until it became unsafe. And then they got permission to tear it down, which they did for their for their parking lot. So fuck you. That, uh, well, we had uh, all my all my theaters, except if you drove all the way to Lauville, you could oh. go to a classic old theater. And I imagine it's still there to this. It is still there. I've looked it up. Um, but, um, there, we had one, we had one in the, we had the cinema plex and that's usually what you'd have, you know, the, the, the cinder block cinema plex is where mm -hmm. we saw most of the movies, but they had one on main street that was the classic old RKO style theater. And yeah. it had become during the week, a porn theater and on the weekend, a second run, uh, kitty. <laughs> yeah, both ends of the spectrum. So, I saw a couple. I saw a couple like cartoon features there when I was a kid when I was real young, and then I got to see like the Bigfoot movies and the UFO movies there yeah. with my dad when I was a teenager. And, then there you used know, preteen. Here in Queens and Brooklyn, uh, tons of movie theaters, and there's actually a website that you can go to that has pictures of these theaters and I've I've been in every one of them. I was in the Liberty the, the Liberty City Line uh theater right where uh the daughters of the my natural father's boss were supposed to take me to see uh Godzilla's Revenge but they were awfully late so I ended up seeing the Omega Man at, at an age I shouldn't be watching it. That sounds awesome. Um, there was uh, a, this amazingly dopey theater in Fresh Meadows. It's it's now a hotel, but the thing was, it was it was basically part of a strip mall. There was like two strip malls facing each other, right, and a parking lot in between. Dueling strip strip Dueling. malls. I, I, don't, I don't know. If, I think they were owned by the same people, but. The one, the, the strip mall part closest to the Long Island Expressway was a movie theater. And they had paid somebody to do this dorky ass, but somehow very endearing mural with all these like popular movie figures. So there's like I love those. Mr. Spock is holding yes. is holding up a, a thing of the Enterprise next to soup next to Christopher Reeve's Superman next to, and I would pass that every day on my way to school when I was going to school in Bayside. Honestly, I, I believe I've seen pictures of that that mural. I've before. looked for them. The only Enough? one that I saw, the only one I could find, was a very grainy black and white one, which doesn't really do it justice. Um, but, and that's where I saw the, the, um, the theatrical cut of, of Nightbreed and 
an actual poster advertising this upcoming Captain America film. That never... That never made it to never, the went direct to video by yep. Al Pune. Yep. But, um... Yeah, I, I love... I, I unabashedly love this film. Um, love the Blue Iguana. Even though, like I said, I, even I admit the third act loses all, all of its momentum. And... I'm wondering if they really needed... Uh, to have Carl and Vera in it as much as they did. You know, the, the IRS agents. Yeah, no, I could have used them a little bit more. I, I, I like, I like, I like the idea of them more than the execution, but it wasn't bad. They had all, all sorts of little they had all sorts of little character things going on vera had her boobs yeah that she was she was always putting her boobs in gravitational space of of mcdermott yeah and he had he had had that kind of like weird bodybuilder movement bodybuilder sort of yeah angry angry lesbian Mm -hmm. something but with the hots for hit with for dealing repressed sexuality but like and the, and he's got he's See, got I didn't world... any repressed sexuality. I think that if anything, she and Carl had some sort of some sort of a thing going some sort on. Of relationship. Yeah. And he has the world's softest nightstick. Yeah. Just, well well just... he was he's he's the sub and she's the dom. Yeah, yeah. But um, um but like the old the only thing I the, the the only thing I really didn't like about the end is I just don't think they should have done the voiceover. I think they should have just left it. They they don't have any money and we're going back into town and you and I'll take over the blue iguana. The end. Right. Leave it open at that. It's all fine. They he mm-hmm. didn't have to tell the whole story of what happened when they got there. We didn't yeah. need to know. It was almost like those things where they uh, uh uh, like um, I just seen Mithrigan and uh, and Mithrigan had to hit a PG thirteen, so they could all they there was only so much killing they could okay. do. So they okay. t- they took care to make sure that there were some characters that you made sure they you know they didn't get killed in an explosion. I'm going to dispute that statement. I think that it was always meant to be a PG thirteen. I think that James Wan. Oh was intentionally trying to make a PG-13 horror oh, yeah. film to show people, see, it is possible to do a PG-13 horror film that is fun, that is a little bit scary, but isn't and, and will make a lot, And will make a lot of money and is ver- exactly. very popular. Exactly. But I no, I, I'm not saying that they had to cut it for PG-13. I'm mm-hmm. saying it was it planned, how, however they did it, it was it was made to be a PG. It was presented as a PG thirteen movie, right. which meant you couldn't get. You only had so much violence and you know mm-hmm. swearing. Oh, and... I, I think James Wan is trying to show the world with his atomic monster stuff that yes, horror is not just jump scares. Horror can be messed up shit like Malignant. Yeah, no, and I think it can be I... fun, stupid silly stuff like Mithrigan. I don't even think he's he's show I well if I mean showing the world the world doesn't care as long as they like it and they can consume it. Yeah. But I hope I'm I'm hoping he's showing future 
filmmaker genre filmmakers like he's really picked up a lot of like you know he's he's picked up a lot from like roger corman yeah and, and also and and, and um Kauf, lloyd kaufman and mm-hmm. stuff like that in a way in 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 ideas of it and, and, and look at and it this brought way it into now without mm-hmm. with what while, while taking away the sleazy edge of it because there's you know there mm-hmm. is he's he's past like the pure red box phase yeah. of of well, well look stuff, at it this way but also. he still is not shy of that style of being yeah. like yeah we're cheesy you know yeah these are but, not meant to be like the the you know um the exorcist <laughs> you know the other thing i think that is interesting about Wong's atomic specifically his atomic monster output which right now is only two films but it's like in two films he's created two very distinctive horror figures that um could if given the chance not replace but become new additions to the pantheon because i'm just i'm so tired of i don't want okay hollywood i don't want another nightmare i especially don't want another nightmare on elm street reboot you know um wes craven did not want more than one nightmare on elm street i think you're being disrespectful to him just like i think you're being disrespectful with those screams uh i don't want another texas chainsaw or halloween or the exorcist trilogy that we're getting from uh david gordon green i would like to see some new ideas and yes that's what James Wan is giving us. Yeah. Here's Gabriel, this weird fucked up variant well, fusion of of Frank Henelotter and Lucio Fulci. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. That's what I was just gonna say. Here's some weird, like here's some weird combo of crazed American and crazed Italian directors. And here's a very here's a very straightforward, you Here, know. It's it's this- sort of like at first at first blush it's like a gender swap of chucky but it's not it's more of an ai modern it's ai an update movie. without the constraints of the of having to to stick to the original concept well that's the thing is if you get a concept that you can do that with He's he's thinking about the stuff that trips up all the other ones, which just try to mm-hmm. do the other, just try to do the other movies, and, and just maybe like top them a little bit, little more and, kills. And I know everybody is pulling for Megan 2.0 as the sequel name, but I'm pulling for Mathrigan Five, like the Magnificent Seven. No, 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 like Mathrig. Okay, picture. Mithrigan. Then you put an S at it at the end of it, but in keeping with the the motif, oh, it's the five. Okay. So you have okay. more than one more than one Mithrigan because the uh, the the industrial spy actually got his um got the notes to some other toy company and now they're making Mithrigans. Call me James Wan if you need if you need a script. 
I bet you James Wan's sitting on like a throne of what else I want. Right now. I want. I so want Gabriel versus Mithrigan. <laughs> Someday. That's like Mithrigan. decades. That's decades. That's uh, well. Hopefully, it won't be as long as it took to Freddy versus Jason. But yeah. But like. But at least they don't have to do like cross studio contracting. Yeah, exactly. These are that. all James Wan's guys. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to play with my mom, my toys. Yep. Anyway, uh, we've gone far afield. <laughs> yeah. But but good on you, James Wan. I salute you in your, yep. in your mission. Um, I obviously I'm I'm biased because I love this film. I would recommend people seek it out. What about you? I would for sure. Well, for one, it's very entertaining. It's fun and entertaining. It's not. It's 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 like if I saw this in 1988, I would have been like, that movie was fucking great. I would have been walking out of it going like, what the hell was that? That was great. Um, but now I've got like I've got like all the all the stuff that came after it on top right. of it. And so like I so like when I was watching it now like now is in 2023 i'm thinking like ah you know the characterization you know there's just no you know at what what it you know basically like 10 minutes in i'm like okay this is a fun movie i take it as a fun movie i'm not looking for like what's this character's arc or mm -hmm. or having to think about any of that but like all that stuff sort of got like if this movie was made five or six years later, it probably would have had more of that stuff in it just by osmosis. But as mm. it is, it's a fun it's a fun movie full of fun, like I liked all the actors in it. The only actor that annoyed me was Dollar Store Corey Feldman. Oh Yana, we didn't even mention Yana Anaya by the way, who has gone on to become a medical doctor. Oh wow! Yeah, Yana's done all right by himself. Well, obviously he was like somebody with charisma that they, because they cast him, they named him, he's got his own name in the character. He's played himself in the, in the movie, basically. Yeah. So, you know, they it's, were like. Uh, you can't deny that, that he and uh, Dylan McDermott bounce off well. Bounce off each yeah. other well. Yeah. Yeah. But he just, I, and it's, it's just like the Tucker Carlson thing. It's more about Corey Feldman than it was about mm -hmm. Yano, you know? But um, but he was the only actor that didn't like a hundred percent work for me. Everybody else was like, was like perfectly in their in in their spot, and <laughs> and uh, yeah, I would say it's a fun movie. And on top of it, it's it's very interesting as like this film that came out like popped out of the film collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. You know, a little earlier than the other ones, but it was it's 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 heading that it, it, it it's it knows where stuff's going or it, it senses where stuff's going. And it's and it's got all these elements of stuff that would that would show up in the in the future. And so it, it's a very interesting film as it, and it's full of like fun music. Yeah. And, um, great cinematography. And uh, I, d I don't know what the print that I saw was off, but it was beautiful. Oh, well, it was a Blu-ray. Yeah. Okay. It was. It was, it was beautiful. They got that, a... that was the. That was. The, I think you used the print that I sent you. Yes. It was. It, it was a Blu-ray quality print. So. 
yeah and, and it's it's just it's 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 nice to look at it's full of fun stuff it's gonna hit so much better and you know just judging by both of us are generation x probably most of the people listening to us are generation x or around there it's mm-hmm. gonna hit a lot better with Ge- generation x it is it is a a straight shot of <laughs> generation right. x attitude circa 1988 you know I, I i i think later this year i'm going to show you something else that is very very generation x i'm trying to think of the there there was a robert altman movie that sort of faded that is sort of a forget and it's like levi and scruggs or something oh like and stiggs oh and stiggs Which is almost like a a boomer's parody. um, It's an adaptation of a National Lampoon story written by... Oh, um, that's right. uh, What's his name? What's his... um, um, uh, Pretty in Pink and... um, John uh, Hughes. It's a John Hughes story. Well, that, uh, that... I've I've I couldn't watch that movie all the way through. It was so like generate like Generation X attitude turned up to almost a hyper like hyperactive like mm-hmm. the acting even just like it, it, it's it's like somebody gave Ferris Bueller crystal meth or something like mm. that. It, it's almost a well. There's a very good itself. reason why it sat on the shelf for years and years and years. It's not a pleasant movie to make, but it was very interesting to right. see. And I'm like, oh, this is a boomer looking at like, ki- like kids my age in right. high school, and 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 now being my age, looking at myself in high school, going, yeah, <laughs> I'm well, not there's that's always me, going to be that. that. The culture around me. There, at that there's time. always going to be films done by the previous generation, mocking the generation that is presently coming up. I mean, yeah, and as all the years the, go on, they get more and more fascinating to watch. <laughs> look at all the the horror films about influencers we've gotten mm-hmm. in the last three or four years, um, and, and they're usually and, just, and just social media in general. Yeah. yeah. So, but anyway, uh, so you 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 think we sh- people should see it? I think oh, I would. I would. I would definitely recommend it. It's. It's. You might have to dig. You might have to dig around a little extra to watch it. I. I believe. That's. that's I, the I found it on YouTube. It is available on uh, Paramount Plus, and you can rent it on YouTube. And I. Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, and uh, John Laffey didn't get a lot of chances after this. He did uh, Child's Play 2. He did Man's Best Friend. And after that, he did a uh, bunch of nothing. He did uh, a lot of TV, I guess. Yeah, mostly TV uh, TV movies. Because he did 10.5 and 10.5 Apocalypse. And uh, But yeah, he... 10.5.25. Yes, he he deserved, I think, a little bit more than he got. But anyway, um, we are going a lot more serious next month. But that's the bad news. The good news is we're going to have one of our favorite people along with us on this on this next month's journey. 
a guest? Yes, we're going to have a guest. But as a dog, guest. my tail would be tentatively wagging. Okay. Uh, this will be his fourth time on the show? Yes. He is, of course, um, Oregon's greatest Australian yes. expat. Yes, yes. Tail fully um, wagging. He, and he is joining us to discuss the film that basically started the Ozploitation movement. A film that was considered a lost film for many years. Uh, we are going to be, once again, uh, visited by the great raconteur and living, walking, breathing, talking encyclopedia of film, Brian Trenchard-Smith, to discuss Wake and Fright. Yay. Yes. Yay. And, then, and after that, it's Zadoichi Summer. I'm not opposed to that either. <laughs> but I'm so, always I'm always happy happy to talk to Brian Trenchard Smith and Okay. This this uh, is, there is this a the first warning, movie though. that we're doing with him that isn't one of his movies either, is this it? It's the first time, yes. It, it's something that he and I had talked about doing for a long time. Uh uh, I do want to you know, mention that there will, might be a trigger warning for people who want to watch the movie before they hear next month's episode. Uh, there is footage of an actual kangaroo hunt that was sanctioned by the Australian government at the time. This, they, they, it was not done specifically for the film, but they, they got permission to shoot this color. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if animals... I, I, I come from northern New York, so like I'm, you know, I mean, that that, that happens with deer every winter, pretty much. <laughs> okay, so until oh. until next time, uh, it's I guess it's time that you better grow. Oh! I see the boot. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. 
Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks.